0: She lays it off, Teresa Palacios! dub here on FNR Football Nation Radio. It's a grand final special. We spoke to Amy Jackson from Melbourne Victory before the break. That interview will be up on our podcast platforms later this evening if you missed it. Uh, But Josh Parrish here with Pakua Frimpong and we've got to do our own breakdown of the grand final before we get into that Matilda's squad. It was a bit of a a heartbreaker for Sydney FC in the end to... Probably were the, the better side on the on the day, but they couldn't finish their chances. Casey Dumont was a with a, a best on ground performance, yeah. and and Melbourne Victory they, they snatched their chances when they when they arrived.
1: As Amy Jackson said, you know, speaking about you know, think of the Sydney FC were the best side all season. I thought that also, you know, I've said it multiple times on the show. Sydney FC it is the story of football. If you don't put away your chances, that's you know, you can't really win a game like that. I thought that victory did well, and you know they really held on with that pressure. And and when they had their opportunities, they took those chances, and they made it quite difficult for Sydney to score because they, mm. quite frankly, Sydney were creating opportunities, but they were in real bursts, and they didn't really sustain it. You know, like real attacking mm. pressure from the front three um, that was connecting with their midfield at, uh, for a large portions of that game. So I think that's where they'd be a little bit disappointed in that in that.
0: It's interesting because it seemed as if victory were really keying in on on Courtney Vine as the threat, and almost shifting the whole team to that side of the pitch when they were defending at times, and it left a lot of space for Princess Abeni. Yeah, but I don't, even though she looked good at, at, at times, I don't think she quite made the most of the I guess opportunity that she was given in in one v ones constantly. I
1: think that's the story of Princess Abeni's you know season. I think at times she's failed to maybe. Propel herself to that, you know, that step, you know, to mm. be one of those real like dominant forces.
0: Especially when her two teammates in the forward line are Matilda squad regulars yeah, now, and she I, hasn't kicked on
1: exactly. But I will say that she wasn't the poorest of that front three. I thought Remy Seamonsen had a poorer game, and she didn't really have anything mm. of stand down. She was substituted. Yeah, as she well, substituted so. quite early, like you know early on in that second half, so she wasn't fantastic and. I thought Abini probably was their biggest threat. You know, Polly Doran stepped up and, you know, she really, you know, she, you know she was like, I'm not going to let Princess Abini beat me. You know, I know that Courtney Nevers on the other side and she's a Matilda and everyone seems to be going on her side to, you know, attack her. But she mm. did a great job. And Vine, I think at times, failed to really create, you know, she was, she was going out players and she creates opportunities like that. She bet Nevin a few times, but... She kind of fails sometimes with that final ball and that final finish because she, if you remember, she had that opportunity in the box and she didn't really. It was just one on one with Casey Dumont and she went. She sprayed it far, um, wide on the right hand side and didn't really, you mm. know, get a shot on target where she definitely should have scored.
0: That was the moment, wasn't it? I mean, if Sydney yeah. score that, perhaps it's a it's, it's a different, different game. It's a different game. They might go to extra time you know it it could it could be an entirely different result we're talking about here it could be oh my god sydney fc another comeback from 2-0 down in a final you know they do the double so it's on a knife edge with these these things you know i i do wonder whether victory's big game mentality is just a little bit stronger yeah. than sydney's when you look at their record of making five grand finals incredible achievement but they've only won one of them
1: i think it's a it a lot of praise jeff hopkins deserves because he's mm. done He's prepared his team to really set them out with a great game plan. To you know, this is what this is the plan. We have to execute, um, and this is what we're going to do in the finals because we've done this before. And he, I think he's shown he's one of the best coaches, if not the you know best coach in the league. And the way in which his players love him and he really supports and loves his players that you, that shows in a football. Mm. Like it shows. Um,
0: in that, in that confidence in the big exactly. moments when they're under Knowing pressure. Knowing
1: that, you know, you know we'll someone we'll talk about a little bit later, you know, um, you know, Jeff Hopkins, his players believe in him and they believe in the game plan 110%. Yeah, I,
0: th- I think that makes Victory such a resilient team in these situations. And the equation has changed for them since they had Melina Ayers back. You have to credit the impact that she's had because as soon as she's come in, They've looked a different side yeah. and knocked off the three best teams in the league.
1: I think, yeah, Melina is, you know, it's going to be quite interesting because obviously she's not going overseas. Uh, she's going to be playing in the MPL Victoria. I believe, I so, believe so. so, I believe so. I haven't got, like, you know, a final confirmation on it, but I'm I assuming that's what she would do. I think it'd be hard she for her to play. She usually plays for South Melbourne. Yeah, I think it'd be hard for her to go overseas, particularly considering that she hasn't played all year. But it's going to be interesting, you know, about her getting into that Matilda squad potentially, you know, down the line.
0: Well, is, that, is now when we... we no, let's look. Cool no, let's, let's no.
1: some, some people didn't want to respect the A-League women's this year, today. Okay. I want to, you know, <laughs> let's talk about it. And, you know, what about... Because I was thinking about Sydney FC and thinking that it's quite interesting that they've lost, I think, four or five grand finals. Uh, I believe that's the stat. Yep. Um, or like seven and nine, something like that. Some yeah, it's four
0: out of the last five. five they've they've, they've qualified for for four grand fi- five grand finals, and they've lost four of them. The is, only grand final they won was against Sam Kerr's Perth Glory two years ago.
1: Oh, what a, that's you know at least that's one to win, um, but
0: and they were carried by visa players in that game. Exactly. In my opinion, I think Savannah McCaskill was a cut above, um, and there was an outrageous goal from a fullback in uh, Sofia Huerta that day, which was just an absolute yeah. bomb. So, you know they they. They've they've got a, a strong squad on paper, better than anyone else in the league. But sometimes in these in these big moments, they've I, I, I think the more the more you fall short in that on and that I big stage that, and that big occasion, the more of a almost complex course, it becomes. It
1: happens, and I I think uh, for me about Sydney is something needs to change for them. Because you can't, you can't tell me that losing four or five grand finals doesn't have an effect on the players. Which they've had a pretty consistent playing group that's kind of moved on. Like the core mm. group of them, like uh, Nat Tobin stayed around, and like I know they, they've got the same players. Really, something needs to change, and maybe they need because they they said Mackenzie Hawksby told us at the start of the season that their goal was to win the premiers and you know win the whole win the whole league. And that hasn't happened. She can't tell me that it doesn't have an effect on players to you know that they feel like they've failed in some kind of way. Mm. Does Ante need to, you know, maybe start thinking? You know, do I need to change my game plan? I know they've got a really great structure, but maybe they're just a good regular season team and they're not a great postseason team.
0: It's hard because they did actually play quite well. They, d- they did, you know, they didn't play poorly. They stuck to their principles and they just didn't execute. And they came but, up against an informed goalkeeper. Is,
1: you know, it's little things, and if in the, those toughest moments, if you don't play your best football, does it really matter what you played around those? You mm. know, and that, that's I think that's a fair question to ask about these teams and you know and all kinds of teams all around the world. If, if you can't play your best football in the most crucial moment. Doesn't really matter about everything else.
0: It's it's so tough because I, I do feel sorry for them because they were the outstanding team. I mean, Melbourne Victory. We were bemoaning some of their their play during the regular season, yeah. and yes, they had players out, but they were wildly inconsistent. Yeah, and you know they, they had serious defensive woes, and there were many frustrations about the composition of the midfield. They managed to fight to pull it together I at think, the right time, but yeah. I also think that. The ALE Women's is a little bit more prone to this kind of thing happening where a team makes an uh, you know an unforeseen run and potentially are champions based on a season where they they weren't the best team over the course of the year because it's only a 14 game season and it's such a sprint that if you sneak into the finals and hit a hot run of form and there are all these one off one off games like it it leaves the competition open to i guess being skewed by And, yes, that's that's the nature of a finals system, but the fact that there's so few games to get into the finals leaves the competition open to being skewed by a small sample size. Does that make sense?
1: No, it certainly does, and, you know, we've spoken about this season needs to be extended. Mm. If we want to see the best football and we want this place actually develop into, you know, crucial, you know, for the for Missildas them and for, you know, maybe if they want to go overseas mm. and stuff like that.
0: And even just for the competitive integrity can, of, the, exactly. of the competition. Because if you set
1: a higher standard in the A-League women's, mean, it means it's a trickle-down effect that everybody's going to play better in the lower leagues because they're going to know they have to play better to mm. get up into, you know, into the A-League women's, which is the ultimate goal. So first things as always, if they need to extend the season. There is a lot of work that a lot of people need to do and they need to have a review and you know, we'll see what they, you know, decide what they get out of that review. But we need to, we need to also trust that the people who will look at the review will know what's how to Mm. fix the problem. And sometimes I don't think I have faith in them to do that.
0: I think the best part about the weekend were was probably the stories that came out of the final and the yeah. human moments and the most match celebrations and I, I don't think you can really go past Leah Privatelli giving her medal to Kayla. What a great Morrison. moment, honestly. There's a, I think someone was cutting with, onions in the room when that yeah. happened.
1: We spoke about it with her. You know, but you, you asked her about you know having Kayla, you know, been out for the season. She spoke so highly of her, so it wasn't wasn't surprising that she brought her up. But it was, it, but it didn't take away from how, how special mm. that moment was and. It shows how close that group is that they can, they are all there with each other and they are in this moment. They are living for the moment and it, it's so incredible how close they are and how well they stepped up in those big moments.
0: Isn't it, Josh? It is. uh, Shall we, uh, shall we get onto the Matildas?
1: The shadow realm. I don't know what (laughs) realm we're about to head into, but I'm nervous, Josh. Come on. So the squad. Do we have any tension music? (sighs) I don't know. Do we? I'm uh, I, I probably
0: can. I can probably rustle something up. Okay. But uh, the squad came out today. Yeah. And we were sort of bracing ourselves for disappointment because this show's been, uh, I think, fair to say, very sceptical of uh, <laughs> Tony Gustafsson uh, and skeptical. some of What his, a word uh, to use, sceptical. And, and some of his selection decisions and his game plan and the performance of the Matildas at the Asian Cup was a big disappointment. So we were hoping to see more experimentation, more players from the periphery getting a go. Uh, There are particular in-form players uh, in the A-League women's competition that we would like to see in the setup. Take me through the the squad and your reaction to uh, who's in this team for the New Zealand Games. Well,
1: the squad is relatively the same since, like, the last you know, the Asian Cup, it's relatively the same. The only key, really big one is that Katrina Gori is now in the squad, but she was also part of the squad, uh, in the, for the Asian Cup as she, ref- she declined to play. Um, and she's now going in for these, you know, two New Zealand games. Josh, I'm gonna be honest with you when the squad came out for the Asian Cup, me and you spoke about it, and I said, mm. How were there only like four defenders in – I mean, sorry, four midfielders in this squad? I was confused. I didn't realise you could play football with only four midfielders in a squad, you know, when you're trying to play lots of games in a competition. I didn't think it was possible. But you know what? Smarter people – people who are smarter than me think that's possible. Getting Katrina Gorey in there, fantastic. Alex Chidiak not being in the squad. I said, hmm, the PFA – the players vote for the PFA team of the mm-hmm. season. And they had Alex Chidiak in the team. They had Alex Chidiak in the team, so you're essentially telling me that these other, you know, female footballers don't know football well enough if they think that Alex Chidiak is, you know, good enough to be in that team.
0: She also won the victory medal.
1: She did, with with, uh, with Claudia Bunch.
0: Yeah, so that the that was the Players Player of the yep. Season Award was shared with Claudia Bunch, yep. and then the victory medal, um, the overall um, award, uh, was won by Alex Chidiak outright. So... Her club thinks Gosh, that she's club, the exactly, best player in the team. And it's
1: quite ironic.
0: The PFA thinks she's in the, the team season. of the season. I think every commentator and Anybody pundit... Anybody who's
1: seen football in the past you any, know, a few anyone months. Anyone
0: with two eyes who understands the game a bit has praised her for her unbelievable high standard of performance. Uh, I would... I would argue throughout the season, certainly the back end of this season, certainly in the preliminary final against Melbourne uh, City where she was the best player on the park and just ran all day and was desperate to win and involved in everything. Josh,
1: I think the most disappointing thing about, the, you know, the, the, the team got released, it is what it is. But Tony Gustafsson's press conference, I feel like that's something we we really need to deep dive in. Like, you know, delve deep into it because the man said a lot of things and I was confused by a lot of things some things made sense, some things I was wondering, I was looking around like I was Mr Bean in that GIF and I go, what's going on, guys? Because the key thing I took away from it was he said, he said, this is where we really start to prepare for the Women's World Cup. Now, that's a problem for me. He's saying there's roughly eight camps to go before the Women's World Cup. So now we're starting to get ready for the Women's World Cup. What were we doing before? Were we not setting up a game plan or were we just playing for fun? I understand that COVID happened and there was a lot of things that happened. But surely he can't be serious in saying that this is where the moment where we start. Because he also said, made the point saying that a lot of players now need to go overseas in order to become, you know, eligible realistically to be in that Matilda squad. Well, why wouldn't you tell them this before the season started? So they maybe their agents could you know reach out and they've realised. Well, Tony Gustafson said this is what I need to do. A lot of questions. He uh, mm-hmm. he didn't he made me ask more questions than I got answers to.
0: I thought he also threw Chids under the bus. Bus with his Absolutely. answer on that, saying there that was she, a level ref- of gaslighting she, that I've
1: never seen before in my personal life. I'm going to ask you.
0: Saying that she knew what she needed to do to get in the in the team, and she just needed to play consistently, and that she's turned down call ups before. To focus on her club career, which I think is stretching the truth. I'd love to. I'd love to hear from her side of the fence on that. Um, and he
1: did give her the opportunity. He did, you know, say that I'll leave that for Chits to answer. But he also, he wasn't, you know, he didn't say that in the most positive light. if I'm completely honest when mm. he was making those remarks.
0: Yeah, I mean, he started off saying that she's this unique creative talent with an amazing left foot, and you know. So,
1: would the Matildas not need that?
0: Exactly. Like, I'm thinking, I, I think we could use a unique creative talent with an amazing I think left the, foot.
1: The problem I also have is that this is a. Like, everyone in this squad now is a. Mm. Like, relatively, they are kind of more or less going to be the squad heading into the Women's World Cup. That's basically Mm -hmm. what Tony Gustavsson said. said He's left room for other people to come into the squad, but he's saying we now need to, you know, win, like, dwindle down, whatever the word is, I don't know what it is. Drill down? Words, 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 Um, to find out who the players are. So, like, that's, like, only a few players that are realistically going to change. How is that set these players need to play better if they know their position's kind of already set in stone? Mm. This is why we're losing players like Ali Green, who's going to play for New Zealand, because it's there's not enough competition for places in this squad, clearly.
0: Or there's not a meritocracy in place, whereby competition for places can, words, actually, be you. can actually function. There is no meritocracy in the Matildas. There is an established hierarchy. And for players who are pressed with their faces pressed against the glass looking in, I don't know that there's anything that they can do on the pitch you know, short of scoring a hat-trick in every game, uh, to actually get into the, the picture. it seems There seems to be f- players who are included no matter what, yep. no matter w- whether they're playing well or not. There are certain favourites and, and players who can coast, and there are certain players who, who cannot convince the national team selectors And I say selectors plural because I'm not convinced that Tony Gustafsson is the only person with input, serious input into the squad. Absolutely, and there seems to be nothing they can do to convince them that that they'll be useful to the national team when the Matildas aren't exactly lighting the uh, place up in terms of their performances. And I
1: think that a lot of people are going to be surprised if they don't watch women's football. If you look on, you know, the results of the last World Cup, you think, "Oh, Australia kind of got a chance," you know, like they they Mm. could do something. Let me tell you, clear as day. The p- teams that have got better have got better by a long way. Teams like Spain who were kind of on the fringes, you know, lastly in, in you know in women's football before, they are ready. They have the best one of the best players if not the best player in the world or, or multiple in their squad and they are ready to dominate. I think it's the World Cup, Women's World Cup is looking very scary for the Matildas.
0: It's a stronger field this it's time. It's a
1: very strong field and I honestly I'm feeling very anxious thinking about it because what we've seen is we haven't we haven't seen enough you know level of creativity and I want Ante, you know, to to call Tony Gustafsson and start talking football because we might get a level of creativity that you know we're seeing.
0: Uh, I, th- I think he needs to get in Tony's ear because exactly. uh, it was an amusing moment during the press conference. We should we should explain because not everybody has watched uh, back the, the thing like in, the, in detail as we have. Um, but you know, he, Ante was asking him tactical questions, and uh,
1: I was very lost. I'm not going to lie to you. I had I, was, <laughs> I had to write the words down. Credit to,
0: credit to Tony G on this occasion, he did actually engage with it and yeah. was genuinely giving Ante insight and answers, and then uh, the, the media officer running the presser uh, moved them along and, and Tony told Auntie to call him and they can get it, get in-depth and nerd out about it. So I think, like, honestly, I think he could uh, he could use Ante's expertise. Use Auntie's- but there are certain things that he is in complete denial about. Yeah. And, and that's what really struck me is that the assessment of the performance in the Asian Cup is totally divorced from reality. Absolutely. And he was talking about facts and stats and figures and he, he only got wants quite, to be judged He on, got quite he upset got, at,
1: at that question about the long balls to Sam mm. Kerr, which I think is a very valid question because, he, you know, in though he's like, oh, people remember the last 10 minutes. Well, if you... Yeah, you're, so if,
0: let's just explain the answer first before. Um, so he was asked about, you know, why should the Australian public have faith in you and your game plan when we resort to the long ball to knock it long to, to Sam Kerr all the time. And it's pretty one dimensional and unimaginative, you know, based on what was dished up in the, in the Asian cup against, against South Korea. Um, and he objected to the, I would the say factual assertion, yeah. but the criticism that his teams play, play long balls on the regular.
1: And, you know, I, I think it's, he's like, in those last 10 minutes, when you are under pressure and you really need a goal, That's when the game plan is on full display because you Mm. it's what it's when you're in those pressure moments, if you believe in your game plan, you will you will trust it one hundred and ten percent and you will follow it through. He said in that South about that South Korea game that there were some players who didn't trust the game plan and got nervous. As a coach who's been there for a year, surely you go, that's very concerning for myself, that players aren't trusting my system. What do I need to do, like, better? And he's talking about these two reviews. Well, those two reviews, if they don't change, if the game against, the two games against New Zealand, if we don't change any of their game style, well, then you wasted your money on those two reviews, if I'm completely honest.
0: The reviews were really interesting to me because he was saying, oh, we actually played less long balls in that tournament. But who was he comparing it to? Was he comparing it to Japan or South Korea or China? No, he wasn't. He was comparing those numbers to Australia's previous numbers in the Olympics. So, of course, we played Played less long long balls. balls. Of course. Because we were playing against minnow teams. We were playing against teams that we were being, you know, 18 nil. Of course, we played less long balls than we did previously. And Ante Jukic and ESPN did a a pretty comprehensive breakdown at the time that Australia went long and direct way more often than any other team in that tournament. So, it's like when, you know what it reminded me of? It's like when Apple do those big. Big glossy uh, announcements, product announcements, and they say, "Oh, the new iPhone is is twenty percent faster than the old iPhone." iPhone Yeah, okay. Well, uh, you being an Apple sheep, let's let's (laughs) step aside from that. But what they they do as a uh, it's it's a tactic whereby they pretend that the competition doesn't exist. Exactly. They say the new iPhone is 20% faster. You say 20% faster than what? Oh, the previous iPhone. iPhone. Well, of course it's faster than the previous iPhone. You're not comparing it. I will say. You're not comparing apples and apples. You're comparing apples and oranges. And that's exactly what Tony Tony G did in today's press conference. And it is totally self-serving. And it's pushing a false narrative and treating us like idiots. And I'm honestly, I'm sick of being treated like an idiot. No. I have I have two eyes. I understand the game a bit. Exactly. I can see no, that when and the and going it- gets tough, you are knocking it to Sam Kerr every single time. And he brought on Emily Van Egmont in the South Korea game specifically to do that. And he said absolutely. so after the game. He admitted it straight after the match. So to turn around and say that wasn't the game plan, where you were pumping in free kicks from a halfway line, uh, you know, in the first That's half, absolutely. is... Is treating us like we're idiots, and I, I just, I can't deal with it anymore. Honestly,
1: he said that we won't. See, he said that last year was, you know, a, it was a bit of an off year, and he said we won't see the same things this year as we did last year. I think those words need to be the key, the key phrase that we remember when we see them play in these camps because he has to be held accountable for his actions and the way in which this team plays. And I think it's disappointing that he hasn't really come down here to watch the games being played. And I think that has a lot to do with his selections because I think that other people maybe have more input per se because they do mm. they do live down here and they do see the games. Maybe they see the game differently to us. Mind you, you know, I'm 22. Maybe I don't know football very well, but I feel like I, I have some level of common sense and I think some of the decisions that have mm. been made, they don't pass the common sense test. It's That's just me.
0: It was interesting the sort of – uh, the justification for the double standard, I suppose, where some players have been vaulted straight into the senior yeah. setup at a very young age, and now others are being told, "Actually, you're not ready." Mackenzie Hawkesby. To, you have to go through the junior national teams, and his his justification for that, and it makes, I guess, some sense um, in isolation. It was that they didn't have a junior Matildas or a young Matildas um, program. They didn't have youth national teams playing games. Therefore, in order to get a look at these players and get the minutes at a high level, they had to promote them straight into the senior team. And uh, players like Jessica Nash come to mind, for example. Yeah. You know, in a normal year, she probably wouldn't get called up. Um, yeah, you know, There are a few other examples. Briley Henry is yeah. another good example. Um, so that makes sense. They're teenagers. It Absolutely. was kind of weird to see them in the senior setup. Great and great playing, for them, you know, against
1: against, you know, the United States and stuff I, like
0: exactly. that. Exactly. Like it it was striking to see them called up quite so early with so few A-League women's games under their belts. Yep. Um, so that part of it makes sense, but then to turn around to someone like Mackenzie Hawksby, who's 21, the best player in the best team in the exactly. competition.
1: If it wasn't for Mackenzie Hawksby, Sydney FC aren't the team they are and it's so clear as day and
0: I mean, people might quibble with that and say Courtney Vines the best player. Yeah,
1: but but I think Mackenzie but Hawksby certainly the has, best the, has has the best impact and I think it's such a, it's so interesting considering the fact that we lack midfielders like it's literally the the biggest positional fault for the Matildas and because we don't have enough defensive cover and Mackenzie Hawksby she's not, you know, great defense. That's not she's not great defensively. So that's maybe okay, but we still lack creativity at times, and he was speaking mm. about you know we you know we haven't we aren't playing the right ball in you know in our final pass.
0: You know we're not playing the final final pass from the correct area, exactly. which is actually a good observation exactly. and, and interesting because exactly. he was talking about the percentages. He's obviously a stats focused guy, and he was talking about the percentages of you know and the XG from different areas of the pitch, like a, a cross from the byline not being as Absolutely. good as a cross from the side of the box or a cutback.
1: But- but you can't tell me that, you know, there are likes of Briley Henry, Jessica Nash, and maybe even Courtney Nevin, right? Courtney Nevin's in this squad, and she's pretty solidified in the Matilda squad as of late. You can't tell me that Courtney Nevin in her position is more valuable than Mackenzie Hawksby playing in a midfield position, or Alex Chidiak, and I'm not trying to, you know, compare, you know, players, because they're all in there for different reasons, they play different positions, but... It's mm. where we're talking about, you know, the ages, and he's trying. It. He's essentially saying to Mackenzie Hawksby, "You are, you're good, but you're just not. You know, you're not, you're not ready to play at the big kids' table. You know, maybe next maybe, World Cup. Maybe, when maybe, I'm no longer I, coaching yeah, the maybe, team, I moved you know, on to a this, bigger, this, and better job. And but I think it's so, you know, it's it's kind of disrespectful, honestly that other players get a look in and they haven't had as great of a season because Mackenzie Hawksby has been one of the five best players of this year. You can put her wherever you like in the five. But surely she, I know she's on the extended list, but there are some players in that list who I think is quite surprising that they've made it on this list again.
0: That that squad is basically, you know, the greatest hits plus a couple of um, extras, I suppose. And, I don't know whether that's beneficial to the Matildas to call up the same lot of players again that failed at the Asian Cup. Yeah. I think I think you have to start getting real with some of these players who underperformed at that tournament and saying to, you know, I don't want to single out anyone in particular, but I, like we've made criticisms at the time. You can go back and listen to our post-Asian Cup wrap-ups if you yeah. know what players we're talking about. But I think it's start time to start getting real with these players uh, and saying we're going to try somebody else. You know, it's only a friendly... Um, don't fret about it. You're probably going to be back in the squad anyway because, you know, there's this big gap between the players who are playing in the A-League women's versus players overseas. That is, that's the opinion anyway. Yeah. But just to cast the net a little bit wider, just to try something a little bit different, just to pick a bit different profile of player because at the end of the day, friendly matches are for experimentation. Surely. And trying the – I mean, the definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And that's what we're trying here. It's the same thing again.
1: Absolutely. And, uh, uh, you know, for me, I, I don't – I have my criticism after the you know, the Asian Cup was that we, we seem to maybe have a plan A, but we don't have a plan B. Mm. We don't have a plan C. We don't have a plan D. We don't have any other letter in the alphabet – at times, and it's quite disappointing that, a you know, a team full of incredible players, you know, from all – like, playing from in all areas of the world, mm. we can't – our head coach can't create a plan B, C, you know, and everything. So why – like, I'm with you. Why can't we bring in these other players just to test it out and, you know, to see different playing styles? They don't have to be – I'm not asking for them to be drastic changes from, you know, at your main core philosophies – but surely have different plans because it seems as if maybe we'll try, you know, get through in the midfield. We might do a long ball across, you know, a cross diagonal ball. Somebody, you know, Caitlin Ford sprints across the line and then tries to cut back into Sam Kurtz. I've seen that play a million times and it doesn't seem to work a lot of the time. Why mm. aren't we trying to get some more creative midfielders in there to change it up and, you know, find that, you know, that missing pass.
0: I mean, I, what, really did annoy me from this and, and you mentioned the thing about players having to go overseas was the disrespect shown towards the A women's competition but I'm not surprised by it because Tony Gustafsson does not live in Australia absolutely he's here every now and again he, he lives in Sweden he coaches from afar there is just no way even if he's got a Paramount plus subscription and he's watching every game there's no way to see though I mean yeah exactly he rewind. Um, you know for, uh, like there is just no way that he's as familiar with the players and the landscape and the talent and then the pool of talent that he would be if he was living here.
1: Exactly. And I think that's why he's, he's got an obsession with players playing, you know, in Europe because then it's easier for him to go see you them. Go and and, watch and them. he, he's, I'm assuming he's been staying in America for a long time and when working for the U S women's national team. He so also
0: said they were looking at training sessions as well. Looking back at like tape from training sessions. And I'm saying, well, if there's players you haven't selected before,
1: how can you, see how, tra-
0: how can you judge them? And, there was, a, there was a tweet a f- uh, f- couple of weeks ago from a um, friend of the show, Sam Lewis, saying that um, basically it was a throwaway line on Twitter, of course. I don't want to throw it under the bus or anything, but she said if if Alex Chidiak doesn't make the uh, the Matilda squad, fold the program. And I'm afraid to say we, we had a good the, run. <laughs> but ladies and gentlemen. Done.
1: The program's done. We're out. <laughs> we're, out. we're out. We're out. We're out. No, no. I think a lot of people, you know, quite rightly, are upset that Alex Chidiak didn't make the team because why – if Alice if Alice Chidiak was put into the Matilda squad and she played poorly and Tony Gustafsson didn't pick her next time, you know what? Nobody would complain. But mm. the fact is, you're kind. You're kind. You're now trying to really solidify the squad that you have. So how is she? She hasn't what right now got lined up. You know, uh, mm. overseas contract.
0: As far as we know. As far I'm...
1: as we know, like like that's in you know
0: to be negotiated. Exactly. I
1: so how can you know? How is she supposed to get in this squad? And I think multiple people asked that. But I don't really think I got a great answer from Tony Gustavson in the press conference about how these players are actually supposed to get into it. Because he's gone about it in, you know, disrespect the A-League women said, yes, mm, you know, you, you played. But it's it, a short
0: season. It's not yeah, that good. It's not that good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that doesn't really speak very highly of the, you know, the 2023 legacy, does exactly. it? It doesn't really feed into the... Uh, what, what this this World Cup is is supposed to achieve if if players in the A League Women's aren't aren't really being considered? So um, I I do kind of hate that that has become this uh, I guess this political sticking point now. Yeah, she's become like the dividing line that. between the Tony G believers and the Tony G haters, and I think she deserves more than that. I think that's that's doing her her a disservice service, to yeah. make her kind of the lightning rod, and I know she. Yeah, you know, I, I suspect she she hates this <laughs> yeah. discourse around her and the, and the, the outrage and so forth because it probably doesn't help her national team case. Yeah. Th- that's the problem I see with this. I guess this team at Football Australia around Gustafson seem to be so ingrained in their view of these players and um, and they they're so convinced that they're they're right yeah, and everybody else seems is wrong. It, almo- it seems like they're in denial yeah, about it. It
1: almost seems as if they're, they're you know. They're, they're, it's a sort of payback because he spoke, you know, in one mm. breath about, you know, her declining offers to be in the Matilda squad and, you know, then spoke about, you know, you know, this, she's got to do this, this, this. this. It's it's, it's as if, she, it's like he goes...
0: It's as if the goalposts are being yeah, shifted. exactly.
1: He goes, you know, if she's available to be picked if we want to pick her. Well, are you picking her because she's not good enough or because she declined the offer or
0: it was such it was such a, a strange answer. Like it was, he gave about six different reasons that all contradicted with each other. Absolutely. And and that that to me looked like someone who was saving his own skin. Absolutely. So well, you, you know, what,
1: Josh, we had a great A League women's season. We run. did. We did. Matilda's going to be playing soon. That's okay. I, I love seeing all these. I love all these players, and I hope they all do well. But I think that our playing style can change. But you know what? We're heading into a new phase with Radio Dub. We've got to start to still try to figure out what we're going to do now. With the Air League women's season over, and it's going to be good. I mean, I'm excited. Are you not?
0: I'm excited too. I think uh, we're going to be paying attention to to the local leagues we a are. little bit more. The the we... MPL. We're going to be talking about Women's Super League Absolutely. and with an Australian lens and Australian focus. And I'm excited to see the the next uh, next phase of this program yeah. because. Uh, you know, it's a long old off-season, but there's always women's football to talk about.
1: Absolutely. And hopefully we can, you know, talk to some, you know, A-League women's coaches and, you know, really talk about the development of women's football in this country.
0: Absolutely. Well, uh, Pakua, as always, it's been a pleasure. It's been cathartic tonight, it I has. think, <laughs> on the Matildas, and it's been fantastic to I speak to Amy Jackson as well. I
1: really lift my spirits what uh, I need. All right,
0: we're going to get uh, Pakua some fructose and uh, and lift her, <laughs> lift her mood uh, and sign off here tonight on Radio Dub. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, we do appreciate your support throughout the season. And uh, and we'll be back soon with this program with, uh, with a new lens to look through uh, women's football. Pickett, she lays it off. Teresa Palaas. It's an absolute peach. He is driving. Yes. What a hit from the Reyes.
1: Wow. And Sam Kerr has a hat trick. Minamala, 1 0. There's someone on the top.